We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message. For the last 20 years, Open Doors has been producing the World Watch List, which ranks the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. The list is compiled by a group of experts, audited by an outside organization specializing in religious freedom, and is the best and most authoritative list of its kind. Through on-the-ground interviews and data analysis, it provides an accurate picture of the difficulties persecuted Christians face around the world. For each country, the list looks at a variety of factors persecuted Christians endure in their public and private lives such as persecution from the government, the community, and even their own families. Open Doors estimates that in the top 50 countries alone, over 215 million believers face intimidation, prison, even death. That is one in 12 Christians worldwide. But the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. We believe there is only one body of Christ, and when one part suffers, every part suffers. We hope you feel called to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a daily reality. Psalm 22 verse 3 promises that God will be enthroned in the praises of His people. Only 
is my prayer. It's the cry of my heart. Lord, I want my life to reflect who you are. Oh, Lord, please stir up the fire and burn everything till all I desire is you. Every beat of my heart, every song that I sing, friends. You know, God really has our attention these days as we're going through this pandemic. I was reading from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And That's what we need today. We need God to come and heal our land. And there are conditions for that. We humble ourselves and pray. We seek his face. We turn from our wicked ways. Then he will come, forgive our sins, and heal our land. I was reading from Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 7. It says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And in uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 24, verse 7, it says, the Lord says, I will give you a heart to know me. I will be your God. And these are the conditions. If we'll return to him, he will return to us. And this pandemic has, has got all of our attention, and I think God is calling us to return to him, to ask him uh, to forgive our sins and heal our land. And that's the promise. If we return to him, he will return to us. And that's my prayer today for you, for me, for all of us.
Eschatology, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. We're on number 39 today. The title of this message is called The Revelation Groom. When we look in Matthew chapter 24 verse 3, the disciples say, Tell us. The disciples asked after their master predicted a future calamity in the city of Jerusalem. They went on to say, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Well, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, his followers found themselves with at least a few unanswered questions about the end of the world as they knew it. We have to keep in mind here that the disciples were not indwelt by the life of Christ. Of course, that didn't happen until Pentecost. Logically, this left them with trying to solve these questions with their human understanding. There was no Holy Spirit within them to reveal to them from the inside out what Jesus was saying. So there were two primary doctrines that were related to their walk after Christ that affected them significantly. The first are the doctrines that are directly connected to the end times, And secondly, when Jesus kept referencing himself as the groom and his disciples as the bride of Christ. After they experienced the indwelling on Pentecost, there was God's Spirit living within them, able to release to them the true understanding of these doctrines. Well, the same is true in regard to the doctrines of the book of Revelation, The book of Revelation was not written for unsaved people. It was written to the Bride of Christ, those who house the Holy Spirit living within them. Sometimes such wonderings over this passage degenerate into endless debates and unwarranted speculation about specific details, such as which of the ten virgins are authentically ready. Other times, end times curiosity comes to a screeching halt as people throw up their hands at what they have begun to feel is an impossible and fruitless inquiry. This is a classic case of the oil in the lamps are depleted. Let's take a look at the two common and opposite errors when studying the end times. The first are those who slip into unwarranted speculation. And this is simply a slip into the rut of unwarranted speculation and guesswork, which results in the desire to extract more detailed data out of the scripture than scripture clearly provides. The prophetic passages in the scriptures are inflated until the rest of what scripture has to say is marginalized pushing Jesus and the gospel to the edges and corners of biblical heresy. The second category is a slip into the rut of shoulder-shrugging cynicism about the end times results in downplaying or ignoring end times text. A balanced understanding seems unattainable, so following Christians abandoned careful study of the end times. Jesus is actually decentralized as the reader or readers fail to wait 
expectantly for their Savior as the consummation of God's end-time plan. This is why it is important for us to keep our focus on the study of the groom himself. So why the single-minded focus on Jesus in the book about the end times? Well, here's his reason. Jesus' goal is for the bride to understand what the scriptures have to say about the end times and how he is the central focus of all scripture, even of the scriptures that describe the consummation of his marriage, the bride who endures to the end. We can find that right out of Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. But when some religious teachers questioned Jesus about his messianic position as the groom, Jesus retorted with these words. He said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. That's John 5, verses 39 through 40. Now bringing that into our lives today, many times the very scriptures where well-meaning Christians look for life to connect themselves with Jesus cause the believer to miss his indwelling life entirely. Jesus is not in a book. He is the book. Making it relevant for each of us, There are many Christians who just simply have to have devotions. They have to read their Bibles. Well, devotions is good. The Bible is certainly perfect. But we don't find life in devotions. We don't find life in reading the Word of God. We find life in Jesus saying, For I have become the Word to dwell among you. When we receive Jesus Christ into our lives through the Holy Spirit, the Word becomes alive and active within us. Then when we read the Word, the written Word, it bears witness with the truth that is already alive and well within us. Looking at the way of the Son, the book of Revelation is all about the time for the way of the Son, which includes the consummation process of his bride. And that would be all of us indwelt Christians. As we remember the Beersheet prophecy, Jesus' birth brings a new stage to the end times. His childhood was his preparation time for his bride. His baptism into ministry was the beginning of courting his bride, those who were the called or the elect. Matthew 24:31 says, And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now this term elect can also be understood as the bride of Christ. So therefore it would read, they will gather together his bride from the four winds. It is important for all of us when we study the book of Revelation that when we hear, read the term elect, we need to understand he is referencing his bride. 
Now let's take a look at that courtship and engagement time of Christ. This is a time when the father permits his son to initiate a courtship with his future bride. Once the courtship period is over, in Jesus' case, this was three and a half years in length, the father opened the door for his son to be engaged to his bride. Before this could happen, the groom had to pay the bride's price, known throughout Hebrew history as endowment. And in Jesus' cause, that requirement was his very life. For the selected bridal members to have the privilege to be his son's bride, they had to be cleansed from all of their sins. They had to die on the cross with the groom. That's why Galatians 2.20 is so important. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. In my mind, I can read this verse in this way. I, Stephen, have been crucified with the groom, and it is no longer I who lives for myself, but dying to my ways and being cleansed from my sins for the groom to live his life in me. And the life that I now live after being put on the cross with him, I live by faith I have in the Son of God, who is now my groom, and I am now his bride. Let's talk about the phases of the marriage of the Lamb. First of all, we need to talk about the 40-day announcement and the ascension. After God's selection process and Christ cleansing his bride by dying on the cross and us dying with him, God now moves his son into announcing his engagement, the 40-day marriage announcement. Once the announcement period has been completed, for those of you who know basic Hebrew, the groom must prepare a place for his bride, which is what Jesus did in the ascension that took place after his 40 days on the earth. John 14.3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We need to understand here at this point in time that Revelation is revealing his time of gathering up his bridal members called the rapture, and then that sets him up for the second coming of Christ, which he will come to deal with all those who insulted his bride. The next phase of engagement in the New Testament living, well, with the act of ascension, that places the bride of Christ in the holding pattern of engagement. During this time, the father prepares the bride and readies her for the groom. That is what it's for. This is when it gets a bit dicey a theological question that has harassed the minds of many throughout the generations is this. How is it that Christ can select his bride, his virgins, and then only take a few of them when he comes to receive them? For me, 
This is not a complicated passage. During this engagement period, there will be authentic bridal members, and then there will be those lukewarm, self-deceived believers who are Christ's followers. They literally lived out their lives and used up all the oil that was in their lamps, and then when it came time for meeting the groom, they were out of oil. This is what I would classify as Christ followers in the world. People who say that they are Christians and that they have the life of Christ, but they basically use Christ and the oil of the Holy Spirit to do their thing. They are not the ones that the scriptures talk about, that those who endure to the end shall be saved. They use up and use Christ for their own glory. The hard truth is not everyone who thinks they are bridal members of Christ authentically are. Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23 tell us that. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The illustration here is that when Christ comes back for his engaged bride, he will only gather the ones who have oil in their lamps, the Holy Spirit in their bodies. I believe that out of every human living under the banner of religiosity that has, does, or will claim to be a virgin for Christ, my guess is, Only 10% of those are selected bridal members of Christ, those who endured to the end. This is why the age of grace in the New Testament living is so important. This is the time that the Father separates the sheep from the goats. We can find that right out of Matthew 25, verse 33 says, And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. I believe there's three primary categories to humans. The first is the unsaved. They know they're unsaved, and they're usually pretty mouthy about being unsaved. The second group is the goats, and it's those who believe that they are as sheep. They're replicators. That's why goats hang out with sheep. The third category are the authentic sheep, and these are the true indwelt believers in Christ Jesus. The phase of the rapture and the groom's consummation, well, after Christ comes to receive his bride, rapture, and ushers them unto a place that he prepared for them, according to John 14:3, he begins final preparations for the wedding feast. During this time, God fulfills his promise to punish the world, non-believers, and the devil through what we call the end times. Before the rapture, the bride of Christ is in the pre-judgment revenge stages of the end times, probably the times that we're living today. After the rapture, God mops up a few details primarily by judging and punishing every spirit being and human that denies his son. 
He also puts a special emphasis on his punishment on those who insulted the bride of Christ. He dedicates the last two-thirds of the end times for this strict purpose, a father's prerogative that is not only acceptable to Hebrew law, but it's required. Then the eternal life with the groom, once all is said and done with the end times, Christ takes his bride to a place that he prepared for her. It's called the new earth. Second Peter 3.13 tells us, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is that special place that the groom prepared for his bride. There are many guesses about this new earth's details, but I stray from getting mixed up in the debate about whether God patches the old one or gives us a brand new one. I will simply take him at his word. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. The new earth is the final resting place for the bride of Christ and the groom, Jesus. By this point, God the Father fulfills his rightful and legal duty of finding a bridal member, or should I say bridal members, for his son, thus fulfilling his own Hebrew law. Revelation's book, unfolds the details of the holiest marriage and the destruction of those that insulted her. Let's take a look at the groom's timeline. We're going to start on the left of this timeline. You should see there the son with his father. Throughout the Old Testament period, Jesus was at his father's right side. The Old Testament was used to instill the doctrines of marriage according to the Hebrew. Then when Jesus was born and his childhood, the groom prepares for his bride. So Christ's birth literally started the process of fulfilling the laws of the groom. And then came the phase of Christ entering into his ministry. This, of course, is Jesus courting his bride So the public ministry was literally the courtship process. Then Jesus died on the cross, and this is where he paid the endowment. Since Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden, they yielded themselves to a new master. That new master, of course, was Satan. That put every human in a position of having to be bought back with a price. That is what this endowment is all about. Christ died on the cross for our sins to purify us, redeem us, by allowing us to be co-crucified with him, the old man being put away so that the new may come. The 40 days is the public announcement of his bride, He went to pretty much every city where he preached before the cross to simply make his announcement to his followers the importance 
of Pentecost and being filled with the new life of Christ, and it took 40 days for him to accomplish this. But in Hebrew, it's called the 40 days of announcement by the groom. Then after ascension took place, Jesus went on to heaven to prepare a place for this bride. This is what we classify as the engagement phase and the testing of purity. That's what our passage is all about in regard to five virgins having oil in their lamps and five virgins do not. It's a testing process to see who remains pure during the engagement process. Those who endure to the end to that mark of rapture, the authentic bridal members of Jesus Christ, are taken up. That leaves the others with the seven-year reign of the Antichrist called the Tribulation. On heaven's side, this is when the groom consummates his marriage. But on earth's side, this is when punishment begins to take place upon all those who insulted his bride. Then his second coming takes place. A lot of Christians today mix up rapture with the second coming, but they are two separate events. The second coming is all about God releasing Jesus Christ to finish the work that needs to take place upon those who would be classified as haters of God. Then the 1,000-year judgment takes place, and this is when the bridal members of Jesus Christ reign with him during the period of judgment, which takes place on earth. And then that final phase is when the bride of Christ is taken with Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, all of the heavenly angels, and taken to the new earth, the place that he prepared for his bride. Now that we have reviewed the importance of seeing the groom's pathway, we can now look at the tabernacle's purpose and why God tends to be quite meticulous about it. If someone is going to get married, there's usually a need for a church. At least that's the way it used to be. It is no different for God. The tabernacle is the ultimate place of worship. The act of a marriage ceremony is an act of worship. God's tabernacle requirements on earth are simply to give the earthlings a snapshot view of the heavenly throne room of God. Through the generations, he has been quite particular in measurements, objects, and color. Once you study the book of Revelation, you'll clearly see that the entire book of Revelation is built upon the structure of the tabernacle. We'll talk more about this in upcoming lessons, particularly as we approach chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Revelation. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about how important it is of protecting the Bride of Christ right now as well as in the future. In this teaching, we find John describing the second and last half of the Antichrist's seven-year tribulation and his ungodly rule. During this time, non-Hebrews 
that follow Christ, that are not indwelt by Christ, and certainly Gentiles will make their last strong attempt to destroy God's chosen bride for his son. You want to know who's really going to be jealous in the end? It's the Christ followers. That's correct, the goats. Those are the ones that will become hostile toward the end of this period because they have refuted the idea of the true exchange life that needed to take place of having and housing the Holy Spirit from within. Much more on this topic in our next lesson. Protecting the Bride of Christ. We are glad that you joined us today. We understand that studying the book of Revelation is a challenge. We also want you to remember that it is impossible for you to comprehend the deep truths stated in the book of Revelation unless you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living inside you. If you're an unbeliever, a non-Christian listening to these particular messages, at some point in time you're going to have to make a decision to either refute Christ or to accept him. In the PDF of this particular message, in most of our messages, we have a salvation prayer at the bottom of that PDF. Please keep that in mind. Again, thank you for joining us. We look forward to reconnecting with you in our next message. Until next time.